This is David Bateson, the voice of Agent 47, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 90 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, July 11th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'm joined by Jeff Kanata, host of both the Dungeon Run and DLC, to discuss the latest gaming news with Xbox marketing its all-for-one video, Deathloop's PlayStation State of Play Spotlight, and just where gaming is headed in the years to come. At the end of the show, I've got a review of the Arctis Prime, which is the latest gaming headset from SteelSeries. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to our guest host, Mr. Jeff Kanata, host of both The Dungeon Room and DLC, steward of the Geeks and Sneaks, and a man of all too many talents, fresh off a plane. Jeff Kanata, thank you for being here. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's actually The Dungeon Run. Not the dungeon room, but I just wanted. Did to- I say room? Oh no, <laughs> no problem. Oh it's no, no it's, problem. <laughs> it says run in my notes. How could I say room? Goodness gracious! No worries. Good. Well, how are you, man? Things are good. Yes, things are things are good. Things are chaotic in my world as usual, but uh, things are good. How are you? I am fantastic. It's a pleasure to, to have you on. I've been listening to DLC for uh, years at this point. Introduced to me by the Mega Dads uh, some years ago, and Jeff. Awesome. Uh, um, Adam Leonard and John Wall kind of introduced me. So uh, that's kind of, uh, it's a yeah, pleasure to have you on. You've been on our show as a guest. So I, I'm, I'm, I was grateful for that. And uh, uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. We've been going on, we've been going a long time. I think we're in our eighth year now. So it's a little nuts. Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. We had, uh, we've had two longtime podcasters on in recent episodes. Uh, uh, Chris Johnson from Player One and Danny Pena from Gamertag yeah. Radio. They've been podcasting for Goodness gracious, so long. What's it like to have such a, a long-standing uh, date, as it were, with the podcasting community? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we didn't we doing DLC for eight years, which was the spiritual successor of, of Weekend Confirmed, which we did for four years, three years, four years, uh, and that was after I'd done the Totally Rad show for several years. So yeah, I mean, I've been going since two thousand six, um, which feels like an eternity in internet years. But uh, yeah, it, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to uh, be doing this and make my living doing it. Um, it's pretty cool. I, people ask, like, how do you get into podcasting? And I always, my answer is always, get a time machine, go back to 2006 <laughs> and start there. Because I have no idea how you start now. It's, it's, uh, it's very crowded and uh, the Wild West out in the, the podcasting world now. But I, I'm glad that I was there at the sort of the, the beginning of it all or close to the beginning of it all. Certainly, I would imagine you've seen a lot of ebbs and flows and changes in the gaming industry. Do you have any like standout moments or thoughts like when you take moments of reflection on on how far it's come since 2006 or so? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I look at the, the gaming industry, interestingly, as sort of having 
been the the span of my life. You know, as somebody that was born in the late seventies, I was born right around the time that Pong came out. You know, like the first video game, and and so my lifetime has been video games, the video, lifetime of video games, and it's wild to see how far we've come, how mainstream they've become, how sophisticated they've become. Um, it is a cultural force. It is an entertainment medium and art form for sure. Uh, all of that stuff is really encouraging and, and cool to me. And I, I think we have, we still have a really untapped potential in this hobby. And, uh, I think video games can become even more relevant to everyday people and everyday lives. I think interactive entertainment has the opportunity to allow us to learn and grow and experience things in a way that passive entertainment does not. You know, I think everybody has watched a movie that has changed their perspective on something, but I think interacting with a video game, interacting with a, a piece of media that allows you to, that, that understands that you're making choices and reacts to your choices and allows you to live inside the systems of something has even more potential to affect the player, the viewer, the, the end user, um, than just sitting there and watching a story, like having to make decisions, I think is a very, very powerful thing. And I think we're really just at the beginning of seeing how powerful that can be. I agree with you. We're certainly a young medium, you know, compared to the music industry, the, the film industry, TV, that kind of thing. It certainly seems like our industry feels very young. And yet, in the short amount of time, we've seen, you know, Atari fade away. Nintendo brought games back to prominence. PlayStation entered a market. Sega left it uh, in terms of hardware. We've seen the, the birth of online in our time. And something you're an avid fan of is VR. And that interactivity is enhanced all that much more there. Uh, it is wild to think how much we've seen in such a short, short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And it seems to be happening quicker and quicker, right? All technology seems to be advancing at, a, at an exponential rate. And it is, um, it's exciting. It's a little scary to see, you know, I have young kids now and to see how they engage with interactive media is, is a little scary because not everybody has my kids' best interest at heart, you know, that they're making these interactive experiences. They kind of want to squeeze money out of my kids or train them you know, you know <laughs> leverage their little lizard brains in in ways that I I think might not be entirely healthy or or appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that is 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 fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I think I think interactive virtual worlds are going to be a bigger and bigger part of the human experience going forward. It's not going to get. It's not going to shrink. It's only going to expand. And so yeah, I, I am optimistic about how that can impact the human experience. I think that is going to be a, an opportunity for empathy and understanding how other people exist and a, a way to explore and um, spark our imaginations uh, in ways that we've never, never had the opportunity to do before. That's why I'm so excited about VR. I think it really is going to change the world. Uh, I'm bullish on on vr for sure I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you though i have not entered the vr gaming realm i see a lot of potential for gaming for interactive media for storytelling uh for purchasing for finding content uh it'll be really neat to see kind of where we go with that but uh kind of one more thing on that reflection piece do you have any games in your gaming history that 
you feel like opened up new doors for for your world in terms of gaming and what gaming could do i often think about metal gear solid that changed mm-hmm. gaming for me and storytelling sure. and immersion um yeah. any standouts for you it's funny i think the one that just leapt to my mind when you said that was the first bioshock really? uh, okay. with how it leveraged um the concept of playing as part of the narrative itself you know how it it used the interactive i mean I guess it's okay to spoil a game that's as old as Bioshock. And I'm sure most people know about the central hook of that game that is revealed uh, toward the end of the game uh, leverages the concept of you doing what you're told, uh, which is sort of how interactive entertainment is crafted, right? I get a quest. Mm -hmm. It tells me what to do. I go do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that game went, Oh, Hey, have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about what that means to just, just, do as you're told. Um, and I thought that really was like, oh, this this incredible moment in gaming where the the story itself was only possible in an interactive media because it was commenting on your interactivity itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was a powerful and profound thing. And I don't think I don't think we've even begun to explore more of that. I think I think that was just sort of a a toe in the water of, of what that could possibly, uh, the relevance that that could bring to gaming. It's funny when I think about interactivity and the way I move through different worlds and whether or not I'm really choosing to go to certain objectives and whatnot. And I think back to uh, a short documentary I watched on level design for The Last of Us 2. And in that, they put, they had a character, I think you were playing as Abby at the time, climbing up a, a two flights of stairs. And they put a box in a certain spot on the stairs so that the player had to go around it. And as Mm -hmm. a result of that, they would be looking at a very particular spot on screen when they rounded that box so Mm -hmm. they could begin a new storytelling trope. And it was very subtle and you would never think that a box would do that. Uh, And that's to me... Uh, it brings up that same same elements of Bioshock in that it's it's making you question whether or not you're choosing to do something or you're compelled to do something or they're, they're really just toying with you, uh, yeah. as it were. I, I find that fascinating. I love that stuff. It, it is, as, as a dungeon master on the Dungeon Run, the live play Dungeon & Dragon show that I do, I think about that a lot, that idea of creating circumstances in which the players think they are making completely autonomous choices, Mm -hmm. but they're doing exactly what I want them to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is a really fun challenge and a cool element of game design. It's very much the same thing you're talking about. The the player thinks that they've decided to walk around that box Mm -hmm. and thinks that they've decided to point the camera where they're pointing it, but the game designer very very intentionally created circumstances in which they were going to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it it happens without them knowing. Now, there's a nefarious side to that, right? There's a lot of that kind of thing with regard to what I was talking about earlier with the lizard brain and your your sort of human tendencies to want to do certain things, you know, loot boxes and all that stuff when something explodes and and pops open and it's shiny and sparkling and swirling around. Oh, we want that. We are sort of programmed to be intrigued by that. And a lot of that game design theory can be leveraged to take advantage of our uh, our human brains that haven't had these kind of stimuli for most of our evolutionary existence. But I also think that there's, you know, the fun side is is that you get to create these cool moments where it feels like I 
did something, but mm-hmm. the designer made it made the circumstances impossible for me not to do that. I am recently fresh off finishing uh, Metro Exodus. I'd started it uh, when it first came out, kind of fell away about halfway through that game. It's really, really good, um, but it was long. And I just went back and wrapped it up. And that game is wide linear, uh, meaning that it's not quite open world. It funnels you in some spots, but you have a lot of choice theoretically. And in playing through that, I started thinking about Halo Infinite and how they're going to be trying to tell this very particular story that they're trying to redirect the Halo franchise but they're doing it in a near open world setting. And I'm curious just how much I will be creating my own narrative versus doing exactly what those designers want. And then mm. the other side of that, the lizard brain element is, is looking at how some of these games, and we'll talk about Assassin's Creed infinity in a bit, uh, but how these games that are going to exist as persistent online or live service, not quite MMOs uh, with various levels of, of finances and transactions how they're going to monetize different things, where they're going to push players to, to fund different projects. I have so many questions and I'm, I'm curious, I'm excited, I'm nervous uh, about stuff I love, like, like I'm very excited for Halo Infinite, stuff that I'm a little more detached from, like Assassin's Creed Infinity, just curious. Uh, but it is interesting. And then it, like you mentioned earlier, uh, when you have kids and they're getting squeezed for money, that's really you getting squeezed for money and that, that programming, as it were. It's a neat yeah. thing to consider. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's uh, interesting to see it work. And it is me getting squeezed for money, but it's often unbeknownst to me, right? Because these, these apps uh, are targeted toward young kids. And you often aren't aware at how much they are manipulating the brain of these undeveloped young kids who don't know what it means to click on this or push that. And so um, I think that's very problematic and really something that the industry has to reckon with because you know i i love video games and i want them to flourish and i i want them to be a um a positive thing in the world and there's uh, definitely an element of it that is very negative and very exploitive and um it 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 tugs me in two different directions Mm -hmm. certainly i can understand that and you know, uh, I'll transition to our first topic with that in that uh, one of the things that every company has to do is to bring players into their player base, motivate them to participate in their ecosystems, purchase things, uh, be active users and whatnot. And uh, because this is an Xbox show, I looked back at this past week of gaming news and then how it pertained to Xbox. And in this past week, uh, Jeff, we saw a new Switch model be announced we talked about a PlayStation state of play and Deathloop. And then Xbox had an all for one commercial for Game Pass in which they brought this nostalgic 90s band all for one back to to uh, really have a, a music video about Game Pass. It was hilarious. It was a parody. And my timeline was equally filled with all three, not just a new switch model or not just the state of play. And I thought it was really fascinating to look at how Microsoft managed to get into people's heads and, and, you know, activate player uh, engagement by way of a, a fake music video, not fake. I guess it's not <laughs> true. It's not fake. It's, it's just a parody video. Uh, that, that was a cool reimagining, but it, it really spoke to me in that, man, socials are powerful and, and mm. motivating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, um, it's an interesting game that Microsoft is playing and I, I'm, I'm there for it. You know, I like, uh, 
I like Game Pass as this as this central uh, killer app. Like Game Pass itself is the killer app. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is really smart and really cool and kind of values the customer in a way that these other companies aren't. And uh, I'm uh, I'm excited. I, I I like that. You know, clearly, uh, PlayStation Five seems to be ahead. And well, I mean, I guess Switch would be the crushing sales. But as far as yeah. these new new consoles, PlayStation Five seems to be leading in sales. But I like how Microsoft is is holding fast to their strategy and adding value to Game Pass all the time. I think it's really really compelling, and it's almost it almost is silly for anyone not to be subscribed to game pass right it's it's so useful and ha provides so much value to the end user mm -hmm. that uh, you know I, I applaud them for continuing to just um increase value and not increase price on that it's true and i would imagine that price goes up in a few years but i mean a lot of people are stacking it it feels like people are in for the long haul once they get in i do not personally know a lot of people that dive into game pass for short-term benefits but um sony continues to produce killer apps with, with their triple a ip i mean from last of us 2 i think it was the most recent one returnal might be argued in there ratchet and clank might be argued in there uh, all fantastic games and game pass really is kind of its version of that we haven't really seen their their studios produce but the way they go about marketing it the xbox fridge the the, the <laughs> music videos and stuff they seem very self-aware of their position uh in the market and i think i like you i'm there for it i appreciate it and i enjoy it yeah yeah and making the uh the console itself part of the subscription if, if you bump up your subscription level a little bit so there's no no upfront costs for buying the hardware. I think all of that's really smart and allows people to get into this new generation of games, games hardware uh, with no upfront costs, I think is a really uh, powerful and compelling offer. I think that's, I think it's something that it's gonna open up gaming to a lot of folks that probably couldn't afford it beforehand. Now, PlayStation Now is, I would argue, the competitor service to Game Pass. Do you subscribe to either of the two or have a lot of experience in the two that you enjoy? I'm certainly a Game Pass subscriber. I, I love it. And um, I think, like I said, I think it's almost a, it's, it's, it's like Amazon Prime level of like, there's no reason not to. I mean, if you can afford it, it's, it's, <laughs> it pays for itself over and over. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, I am a PlayStation Plus subscriber. I'm not a PlayStation Now subscriber. Mm -hmm. And I hope that Sony recognizes that Game Pass is a direct competitor and, and starts really um, doing some day and date stuff uh, with their big releases on PlayStation Now. I would happily pay that fee um, every month to have a comparable service. I just think it's, it's more back catalog stuff. And I tend to be a guy who's excited about the next big thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it is not doesn't offer the same value that game pass does for me at this moment in my mind playstation now is a really good service that needs yeah. to break its its stigma from when it launched right because it launched on i would argue rocky cloud infrastructure i mean x cloud's kind of leading the charge stadia technologically speaking is, is probably a little bit behind that but playstation now had really good ideas of just streaming games to you uh, just didn't work, I think, the way we, we were hoping it might. But they've since unlocked it to be available for download for PS4 games. Uh, there's some mixed messaging on whether or not you get PS4 or PS5 versions. And I would say that their marketing doesn't feel as motivated, whereas Game Pass does. But the service, I think, is very respectable. And PlayStation Plus, to your point, 
point of pointing out that subscription they have that uh instant game collection on ps5 which is yeah i mean that pays for itself over and over again with games like god of war and spider-man stuff great games super great games yeah yeah i I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to messaging because clearly microsoft is putting game pass front and center in their messaging Mm -hmm. and with the logo on you know on every trailer and all that stuff really reinforcing what they're trying to do with game pass Mm -hmm. whereas sony doesn't really seem too interested in marketing PlayStation Now. It's, it's it's about marketing these individual titles, and then PlayStation Now is is also available. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of is telling as to their strategy. Uh, but I I hope you know I <laughs> I jokingly predicted this year that uh, PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now would be combined into one service called P- PlayStation Plow. Um, which I still hope happens, but I I think it would be in their best interest to combine those services, kind of how Microsoft has done with gold and game pass and just kind of make it the same thing and, and, um, make it all one, you know, purchasable monthly fee. Sure. I think, uh, to the Microsoft side, they're due for some consolidation. I think a lot of people are unhappy with the current offerings of gold, uh, particularly Mm. when they tried to raise the price a few, a few uh, months back but when you right. look at game pass ultimate i mean it's unquestionably the best value and the option of x cloud i think is going to get that much more enticing uh as as covid restrictions are lifted worldwide which you know hopefully happens safely and, and productively in, in the right ways but uh, right. as people travel more x cloud will be accessed more uh, and as such i think you'll see an increase in in game pass subscribers which we already I believe it's I believe the last number I heard was 25 million, but I may that may not be official now that I'm saying that out loud. Um, but it, it's all it, it all comes down to message messaging and, and um, making sure that people understand the value to their dollar. And uh, I would like to see Sony up their game with the PlayStation Now marketing, because that competition is why we have Game Pass. That competition mm-hmm. is why we have these, these acquisition wars, as it were. Um, and for anybody that's financially capable, if you can own more than one system, I mean, that is just the way to go. There's so much value out there. The only question now is, do we have the time for it? Right. Yeah. That becomes the, the number one resource. The number one commodity is, is time, especially with all the, I mean, you're talking about games with the, with the word infinite after them. It's like, Mm -hmm. guess what is not infinite? My time. (laughs) So yeah, it's, that's a challenge, especially as a guy with two kids. I, that's my number one problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, one of the funny things is uh, with Halo Infinite, they're talking about their their battle pass season pass uh, system is not going to be expiring. Whereas like Fortnite or Destiny, like you might miss a window to unlock certain content. These yeah. will always be uh, accessible, which I appreciate because uh, when Infinite is in the title, Assassin's Creed forthcoming and then, of course, Halo Infinite and anything else. I, I do worry when live service games become my job. I don't want that. You know, I want to be able to log yeah. on and relax, not feel pressured to play one more, two more games or, or sacrifice family time in order to get an unlock that I really want uh, in a game. And so I'm hoping that's a trend that catches on as well. Uh, are you do, are you an avid player of any live service game in particular? I used to be uh, very, very heavily into uh, Heroes of the Storm. Um, that was my my MOBA of choice. And I, I played it obsessively and put many 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 hours into it i always get into it back into world of warcraft uh when a new expansion comes out they just had a new update uh that pulls me back in but the nature of my job in my life is that i i constantly have to play new stuff 
mm-hmm. um, and I don't have tons of surplus time to 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 pour into the game that I you know just want to play for my own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So uh, so the answer the the short answer is no, not really uh, anymore. There's not really one kind of live play service that I come back to over and over. Well, then I wonder how you're feeling about the the recent news of Assassin's Creed Infinity, the idea being, uh, and this was confirmed after a leaked report, this was confirmed by uh, Ubisoft, that they would be launching a new Assassin's Creed platform, Assassin's Creed Infinity, that will essentially be, and I'm trying to paraphrase as best and as easily understandable, uh, and either a hub for all the Assassin's Creed games, or more likely, uh, one platform in which you can play new Assassin's Creed stories going forward. Uh, and before you answer, I'll say that I had very mixed feelings about this because in many ways I felt like Odyssey uh, and Origins and then recently Valhalla were so huge that they could have been parsed into a live service game and I wouldn't have known the difference because they just had so much content and they're bringing even more to Valhalla. Um, does this news of, of a previously single player third person adventure game going to a live service model does that worry you does that bother you are you excited for that where do you stand on this i think this is going to be a major trend right we've seen it with halo uh i think i think this is the fortniteification of the industry where fortnite is such a juggernaut and such a revenue generating thing and mm-hmm. and even gta 5 right which is ostensibly a single player <laughs> one-time release game but has become this incredibly perpetual money-making machine because of its live service aspects i think a lot of companies are seeing that as as the a real way to to continually monetize these these games mm-hmm. and not have to worry about cyclical releases um so i think we're going to see a lot more of it now whether or not i like it I think it's case by case, right? I think there's, it's really cool to be into a game that updates all the time and is perpetual and it doesn't feel like you need a numbered sequel every few years or yearly or whatever the case may be to uh, dip back into that game world. And I think in with Assassin's Creed, if you have, you know, if you have this single, singular uh, sort of futuristic place and they you get into an animus that sends you back into different timelines i think that's kind of a cool concept and they released the greece one and then they released the feudal japan one and then they released the renaissance italy one and you know and and it's all from the same general world and you're upgrading your character and and uh, getting stronger and then you have to go to these other new places i mean it becomes much more an mmo style game which i like so mm-hmm. I think that could be cool. I, I too, and Famous Seamus wrote in asking uh, questions about Assassin's Creed Legacy, uh, our thoughts on it, which we just answered. And then, you know, he also wants to know if we think that there are, we're at a point of too many live service games. But uh, I, I kind of dig what you're set telling me about Assassin's Creed, the idea that you go into an animus, you access a world, and it's all there. Um, and I feel like there's a, a comfortable way to... You know, you go into the Animus and then you're transported to Assassin's Creed Black Flag or to Origins, the, the previously created stuff, as well as new locations and locales. I'm curious if, if that's a subscription model. Like, do you just subscribe to Assassin's Creed Infinity and then that's what you play? Like, that's your thing? Um, that- maybe. I mean, or maybe it's just a a way to make the Ubisoft Connect service 
more sustainable and you're not just waiting for the next big game to you're not just waiting for far cry to come out or whatever to be paying your ubisoft membership it's this perpetual world inside the ubisoft service that gets you access to that and whatever else they put out it's a good point and then you know comparing it to to you know halo infinite which is a similarly single-ish player game going now into that open open stance uh it's hard to describe halo infinite like out of context uh but i wonder if you might get multiplayer into assassin's creed infinity in some ways like you you and your friend go together into feudal japan or go together into uh, ancient greece or you know wherever new locales they take you i don't know you know aztec mexico that kind of thing yeah um, multiplayer yeah. would be a cool element of that uh yes i mean um, that's not what you know blows my skirt up but i, I i'm into that in a theoretical sense i think that's cool and i think anything that gets you motivated like this one perpetual uh, progression that goes across all the uh, assassin's creed games i think that's a, a really interesting idea something that i could get behind and uh, i just think we're going to see a lot more of that because these companies don't want to just charge you once every few years they want to keep keep you uh, on that spigot you know and and i think you know to your point about or to um uh, famous Seamus' point uh, yeah. about, you don't have to tell me, he's famous. I know him. Um, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, about too many live play, live service games. I think for me, that is true, but it is only true because I live in an old paradigm, which is I play video games, mm -hmm. right? When I say I play video games, what I mean is I want to play everything. Mm -hmm. And that's just increasingly untenable. And not even really what the industry is about. It'd be like saying, I read books. You know, it's like, well, what kind of books do you read? You know, uh, you can't read all the books. <laughs> but right. there was a time for a long time when I could pretty much play all the video games. You know, mm -hmm. I could I could be into all the video games. I mean, not really all of them, but I had a, a sense and I had, I had really played most of the stuff that had come out. Mm -hmm. But it's like we're in a situation now where it's like, well, you know, if you read books, do you read cookbooks? Do you read, you know, auto repair manuals? Do you read mystery novels? Do you, what do you read? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where video games are going to, where it is much more specialized and a person that plays video games can just play destiny, right? That's their game. They just play destiny and maybe a couple of others yeah. uh, or whatever. Uh, and there's, and there's so much there and, and it's become so mainstream that it's not about there being too many live, you know, live service games. It's that they are specific to very specific markets, right? The people who are live servicing into a, you know, uh, a large scale simulation of a of World War II are not the same people who are enjoying the live service Forza game. Right. It's just mm -hmm. made for completely different audiences and that's okay. Right. It, 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 it's not, there's not, there's too many of them. It's that there's a bunch of games that just may, aren't made for you perhaps. And that's a hard thing for me to swallow because it's never been the case for me. You're absolutely right. And my mind for some reason jumped to uh, world of tanks. And I can remember right. the E3 where Microsoft said world of tanks is coming to Xbox. And I could tell that was a very big deal. And I had no clue why or how. And uh, I was clued in by, by people in the know just how 
big that games that game is how many millions of players play that just that game and how much some of those premium tanks can go for you know like a hundred dollar version of a tank can there and people just play world of tanks or they just play sea of thieves or they just play any of these games that are persistently online but you would not they would not say i play video games they would say i play world of tanks or i play destiny right. and yeah uh, you're right yeah you're a very good point very good point yeah. thanks <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's it's just funny to think about because uh my least favorite question uh when people find out that i'm a gamer uh and i'm in my mid-30s as a you know as a teacher at school other teachers will say oh well what do you play and I don't want to start listing off the last 10 indie games I've played because I've played a lot of games. I'm like, and I want to say everything, but even then that's not true. And trying yeah. to describe uh, people, uh, you and I think are similar that we want to play everything uh, and not just one thing where it'd be very easy to say, I just play Fortnite or Call of Duty, you know? Yeah, right. Which, yeah, which or is, Minecraft or these people who specialize in, and that's the game they play and that's fine. That's cool. Go yeah. for it. But it's just never how I've been because... I grew up in a time when there were few enough games that I would play all of them. <laughs> I wonder if streaming has had an influence on certain people's consumption of just one game versus a lot, because I often hear that variety streamers are not nearly as successful as people that just stream like one yeah. game and build a community. I wonder how much impact that's had. I think it's a, it's a big part of it. I absolutely do. I mean, I, I hosted a, an event, um, big long story but i i was hired by a company to host an event with a bunch of really prominent streamers and um they you know have huge followings and they play you know only play dota or they only play um one specific game and talking to them about they have no concept of of the history of video games or uh, how to even play other games like ask them to play super mario brothers and they're clueless hmm. it's because they're so specialized they but that's you know that's just how the world has changed right it's not it's not realistic to it's like you know asking somebody who's the best baseball player in the world to play ping pong it's like well i don't play ping pong i play baseball you know it's like well, why would you want me to play ping pong it's a completely different game mm -hmm. but you're an athlete why not you know yeah i mean I'm, I'm sure there's some skills that that translate right but they're not interested in playing ping. They specialized in baseball. You know, they, they got really good at it. And so yeah. they play baseball for many, many hours every single day because they love baseball. Uh, they didn't, they, they don't just play sports. I mean, there's some people, lots of people who play sports, right? Right. But it, it's two different mentalities and two different lifestyles. Right. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. I, huh. I, I'm just going through my mind about how many conversations in my life have I had with, with young people, with adults who are like, Oh, what do you read? Oh, what do you play? What do you, you know, oh, you play sports? Like, no, I play basketball. No, I play baseball or sorry. And that's just, it's yeah. funny how we, once we find what we like, we, many people will start to specialize in them. Whereas I want to play as many games as possible. I love just trying new things. And sure. uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that I don't mind if a game is a six or, or not quite perfect, I guess is a better way to put it. Cause Metacritic can be, uh, its own enemy, own worst enemy. But if a game is not quite perfect, but does a lot of things well, I often find a great bit of joy in playing those games that are uh, not quite great in their category. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's another facet of, of that different mentality, right? Because I'm like you, I, I'm interested in exploring the systems that the designer developed. Like what, what is it about this idea 
that manifest this way, right? Mm -hmm. But somebody else wants to get in a game and become the best at it or really test their own ability level and squeeze every ounce of performance they can out of doing something the best way they can, you know, get into Call of Duty and be at the top of the leaderboards every, I, I just have no motivation to do that. I think it's beyond me and it's also not really what I sign up for, right? That's not what I'm excited about is seeing my name at the top of the leaderboard. It's cool if I can ever do it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's more about, oh, look how cool these systems work together and oh, look at the experience that the designer is trying to create for me and seeing how that all works together. You know, I, I play a lot of board games as well. And there are people that you'll invite over to your board game night and that'll sit around the table and they just want to win. They want to win. I honestly, I play to win because that's the goal of the game, but I couldn't care less if I end up being the winner or not. I'm, I'm trying to win. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, employ a strategy that will let me win. But if I don't win, I... A, I'm not surprised, and B, I not, it's not what I came to the evening to experience was winning. I was like, I wanted to see how that board game worked. I wanted to see what the interlocking mechanisms are that the designer was was creating here. And so winning is secondary to me than experiencing the game. And I think those are two valid, I don't think my experience or my you know, my methodology is superior to the person who wants to come to win. They have a perfectly justifiable idea about what makes it fun for them. It's just different approaches, you know? You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Jeff, let's transition to uh, our, our final topic before mail, and that is the PlayStation 5 exclusive, timed exclusive, I should say, uh, Deathloop. It was recently featured in a PlayStation State of Play, a lot of people asking why PlayStation would would spotlight Deathloop when it will later be coming to Xbox consoles. I believe the date is September 14th, uh, 2022 is when that exclusivity window ends and we might see it on other platforms. It's presumed that it would end up on, on PC and Xbox given they now own it. Uh, nonetheless, I thought it was a really cool showing and the willingness for PlayStation to spotlight Deathloop, regardless of its shift in ownership. Uh, I don't have a lot of interest in the game itself, but I think it made a lot of business sense for them to uh, respond and, and respect the developers of Deathloop and showcase that game that they will have on their, their console for a, a year where it can't be anywhere else. Uh, and then also in their state of play, they did some indies as well, but I thought it was very appropriate. They spotlight Deathloop and I was really pleased to see them. I don't know if the words are, playing nice right i don't know i like people <laughs> get along um but uh did you did you catch the state of play or rather sure, I, yeah you, did you did you watch it do you have any interest yeah. in death loop where are you saying in? i do i mean i think uh i think dishonored was a really cool game it looks very similar to that um i think death loop has a is a really interesting concept um i'm i'm a little worried about some of it uh, how they're going to pull off the repetitive nature of the game i mean games by their very you know nature are repetitive but this seems particularly repetitive like do you have to pull off all of the assassinations in the same run and so are you repeating a bunch of content that you are failing at on the way to that i don't know i will see how it goes but i mean i think arcane's a really great developer and it is uh it looks like a, an awesome awesome game i do too 
I do too. I don't know that it's for me, but I was impressed by it. I feel like this is one of those games that I want to watch. I want to hear about. I want to <laughs> yeah. see, but I don't know that I would be playing a lot of myself. Um, I was also a little bit tripped up and, I, and I'm taking the Microsoft angle here, given the, the nature of, of XEP, but it was a little bit interesting to to see in articles coming out afterwards, Microsoft's Arcane Studios. That felt a little weird. It just felt yeah. weird. It was just odd, um, to, to say the least. There. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a new world we're living in where Microsoft owns Bethesda. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to allow Bethesda to uh, do some interesting things. I'm 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 hopeful that it was a positive acquisition for both parties, and it seems their messaging is that it is. But uh, well, it remains to be seen how it all plays out. I did a uh, a poll on Twitter as a result of putting the notes together for this show and, and whether or not uh, how people feel about exclusives. Right. And I was purposely vague for the, for just to, to try and gauge interest and see where people took it themselves. But the, the very simple question are exclusives good for the industry. Uh, at the moment, 75% of the people are saying yes, 25 are saying no. Um, I've always been of the mind that exclusives are a good thing. I have seen elements and, and parts where I'm not happy with it. But in my mind, exclusives are a good thing for our industry. Um, what's your take on that one? It's hard to know. I, I, I think competition is good in any industry. And certainly exclusives are an extension of competition. And so in that sense, I think it's, it, it provides a strong case. You know, these, these companies are motivated to have very, very cool system sellers that, um, that showcase reasons to buy their hardware and invest in their ecosystems. So in that sense, I think for sure it provides incentive to make really great games and, and uh, have these companies really invest in great developers and put their money and marketing efforts behind top tier developers. But also, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know what the world would look like if, it was more like a, uh, a DVD player or a Blu-ray player or something where, you know, companies are putting out Blu-rays. They don't care what you play them on, right? Any Blu-ray player can play it. Um, I think that is perfectly viable business plan as well. And you could have a whole number of different companies making a whole, no I mean, it's, it's PCs really. Right. But yeah. I think if you had a, a sort of a, um, an established spec, like the, like the Blu-ray spec, and you had a bunch of companies conforming to that and making their player, I think you'd see lower prices and I think you'd see a lot of variety and innovation in what is offered there. So it's hard to know what's the best thing. I think I don't think we're going to see exclusives go away anytime soon. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at the positives of that because I just don't think it's going to change. Certainly. Certainly. I think it makes sense. It makes sense for sure. Well, Jeff, let's take one listener question and then get you out of here. I know you got a busy schedule. Uh, this question came in from Edward Varnell, who is an avid Nintendo fan. Um, and I always give him a hard time because I, I always feel like his questions are skewed towards uh, Nintendo. And, and I would venture to say that given he's writing into the Xbox expansion pass, he would say it goes the other way. Uh, but he asks, Jeff, he says, do you think Microsoft titles would sell better on modern Nintendo consoles, hypothetically? Would you find uh, uh, Nindy titles worth playing on a Microsoft platform that are not on Game Pass? And 
would impress but only by their visuals. I don't know what he means on the visual part, but let's go with the first part. Do you think there are certain Microsoft titles that would sell better if they were on Nintendo platforms? Sure. I mean, uh, why not? Right. I mean, how many, what's the install base of the switch? A lot. A lot. It's a <laughs> lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm actually surprised this hasn't happened yet. I, I think Microsoft is getting to the point where they are as a company, not just as a games company, but as a company overall with windows and all of the things they do, they have decided they care less about making you use their stuff uh, you know, their individual products than it is selling you services. And Game Pass is a service that I think they are all in on. And I really believe that it's not too far off that we will see Game Pass living on Nintendo systems or Sony systems. I think that is something Microsoft is absolutely open to and are ha they're happy to sell you Office, the Office suite on your iPad, right? Mm -hmm. They don't care. Um, and I think that's how it's going to be going forward. I think playing Halo on a Switch is absolutely something Microsoft is open to. And um, I, don't, I don't think it's that much longer before we see that happen. And I think it does open up Game Pass, a Game Pass subscription to millions of other people that maybe don't have an X Xbox hardware. Do you have Switch hardware? Uh, and yeah, do I want to play, you know... X Cloud is already allowing you to play Halo on handheld devices and, and stuff like that. So why not? I, I think it's in Microsoft's best interest. I think it it's in Nintendo's best interest. I think it's something that can and probably will happen. I would 100% agree with you. And I think that xCloud is the way we're doing that. We've seen a lot of Switch games uh, in Japan. And now I think starting over here, a lot of the higher fidelity games for the switch that just can't fit on that cartridge because it's very small in terms of data um they're streaming them right i think resident evil 7 was the first game in japan that streamed to a switch and that's how you could play it i think that is how xcloud will or, or how xbox games will function on switch via xcloud already uh, edward if you want to play minecraft you can log in uh via xbox live and do different types of crossplay there with minecraft dungeons i believe uh, there are systems put in place that to me are building towards the future. And with uh, maybe what you were kind of getting at with the visuals, uh, that new OLED model of the Switch will be a brilliant and beautiful showcase for games like Sea of Thieves or Halo Infinite, if indeed xCloud does come to a Switch. Uh, and I don't think that's far away. I really don't. Microsoft is avid that they are going to, or adamant rather, that they are going to get to 3 billion screens. They used to say two, and now they're internally saying three. So that is that is an absurd amount of people. And you only do that by being accessible in as many places as possible. And if they're willing to uh, shoulder the burden of processing on their own servers, why not do the streaming? And why not let the Switch uh, uh, do just that. And I think that's the promise of xCloud. That's the promise of what Stadia was trying to do. Uh, Luna is out there for Amazon. Um, why would why would they not have that built in? The only thing I can see happening would be Nintendo or Apple trying to get in the way and wanting certain amounts of, of the profits. And uh, who's to say they do or don't deserve that? I mean, you can look at the court system right now. Jeff, I don't know if you've followed the, the Epic and Apple and Microsoft debates there of who gets what percentage of a cut anywhere. Um, yeah. But it can be hectic, hectic. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. 
Well, that is going to be it. Thank you to those of you who wrote in for your questions this week. I don't want to take too much of Jeff's time. Jeff Kanata, thank you for joining me. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't ask you to plug your many projects and make sure that the Dungeon Run gets a healthy dose of, <laughs> of showcase there. Where can people find you and where should they be looking for your content? Well, the easiest way is to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do this video game podcast we've mentioned called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, I do a movie and television review show called the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. I do uh, a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And the uh, Dungeon Run, which is my live play Dungeons & Dragons show. Super proud of that show. Uh, it streams live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run, but it's also available on YouTube and as an audio podcast. For the past few weeks, guys, I've been checking out the latest headset from SteelSeries, the Arctis Prime. Now, they did send me a review unit, and that is the one I've been using and am currently using right now as I record this particular show. The Arctis Prime is a budget comparison model to, say, their Arctis 7 or Arctis 9X, which would retail at substantially more, around $250-$300. The Arctis Prime is a $100 headset that you might consider comparable to the Xbox One headset that they recently released. It is uh, visually very similar to like the Arctis 9 or Arctis 7s. It's got that ski strap that's really comfortable to have on top of the headset and sound wise it sounds really good especially for a hundred dollar unit but it is a budget unit compared to uh, some of the more elite versions that they've got out there Um, at a hundred bucks you've got a very different type of setup you're not necessarily using bluetooth you're not necessarily uh, doing this wirelessly in fact i'm using an audio plugin uh, when i play on my xbox using that 3.5 millimeter jack uh, on the controller to to plug it in uh, and sound wise it sounds really good i was very pleased with the sound quality i was initially quite concerned that it would not sound comparable to my arctis 7s that i'm using right now uh, which is my favorite gaming headset by the way i was worried that the primes would be just lackluster by comparison and i was pleasantly surprised that sound wise it sounds really really good uh, the primes do a very good job at mimicking the higher quality elements of the 7s or 9x's uh, that said, it is noticeably different in certain cases, certain more high intensity games. I've been playing uh, a lot of Doom Eternal's DLC lately, and I can tell a noticeable difference in the, I guess you would say the depth of the sound, uh, as it were. And there are a few little like oddities that don't quite uh, line up well. There's no chat mix uh, on the side that um, I was able to use in order to adjust like just how loud uh like i would be in game chat versus not whereas you get that on some of the higher model units um there is a really good set of noise isolation so uh, it locks out other other sounds from around you you're a little bit better there the cups around each side of the headset are quite comfortable i would say not nearly as comfortable as the arctis 7s they've got this kind of plasticky feel to it that can make it a little bit odd um i saw a few different other reviews uh, around the internet as I, as I checked out what other people thought and the word creaky showed up a few times and that's oddly appropriate uh it is a little bit of a creaky unit it 
feels like maybe it's made with uh, a few cheaper components than you would get with your $300 headset, which of course makes perfect sense. But it does a really good job uh, at being a very simple design with uh, on a budget, I guess you would say, right? Like if you're in the market for a, a good solid headset that's not a cheap throwaway one. Um, you know how like you might walk into like a GameStop or a Walmart and get like a really cool looking green or purple one, but it's only like 40 bucks or whatnot. Um, this is not that. This is a high quality, very capable headset at around a hundred bucks and it punches above its weight. I was quite pleased with a lot of different elements of uh, these this particular headset, it's got high, hi-fi speaker drivers, uh, which is very comfortable and standard in, in the Arctis family. You, you have the ear cups that are uh, comfortable. Again, very even weight distribution throughout, but it's, it's a budget unit. It is not cheap, though. I don't want to suggest that when I say it's a budget unit that it's cheaply made. It's not. It's really comfortable. It's really nice. Um, if I spent 100 bucks on this, I would have been thrilled with the quality that I'm getting. I would have been very pleased with what I've got here um, overall out of this particular headset. I can say that I'm spoiled because I've been investing in the higher quality Arctis lines. But yet again, I feel like the Arctis series of headsets is just top notch. Um, there are no issues in terms of like audio flickering that sometimes Xbox users would get on the old nine X's. I never get that with the sevens. Um, but on the old nine X, there would be like little pops here and there on occasion, uh, never happened with the sevens, definitely not happening with the Arctis pros. And that's probably because it's plugging straight into your, uh, controller. But so overall pretty pleased with it. Pretty pleased with it. I would say that you should be snagging an Arctis prime headset. Uh, if you're in the market for a, a hundred to hundred and fifty dollar headset, you'll be quite pleased with the Arctis Primes. Uh, really solid set of of headphones here. Uh, if you want to hold off for more expensive ones, I'll always suggest Arctis Sevens. I really like those a lot. Um, and the are the Xbox hundred dollar headset that this is competing with. I think we've got a really good uh, competitor with the Arctis Prime. So so take that as you will. Understand that SteelSeries did indeed send me a unit. That is the one that I have been using and I'm using right now. Um, and uh, overall, pretty pleased with it. All right, guys, that's it for me. Uh, thank you for sticking around through this episode of XCP. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care.